Father God, thank you that we can be here in this place, that we can serve you, that we can honor you, that we can be with family and friends, and we can worship you and study your word. Now I pray, God, that our time in your word will be led by your spirit. I pray that we will hear from you, from your voice, from your truth, directly into our minds and hearts. I pray we'll never be the same for having encountered your love, your grace, your redemption, your strength, and your help, where we need that strength most. This is our commitment, our prayer, and our thanks in Jesus' name. Amen. Also appreciate Doc mentioning, and thank you for praying for me. I'll be in Israel the next three weeks, getting back in three weeks. Be my first trip since the back surgery, so praying for all of that to go well. Uh, excited to get back over there and do all that. So Nick will be here the next two weeks, and then you're trading up big time because Janet's going to do the third week, and then you're stuck with me again after that. So since I won't be here the next two weeks, let's talk about Halloween. I know that's what you got up this morning thinking about, right? Hoping you could be doing that sort of thing. But if you're going to be making preparations, you got to get ahead of this. $10.8 billion being spent by Americans for Halloween. Is that not nuts? Is that not it? Well, but anyway. So there's a house in San Antonio that's in on the deal that's now made national news. Back during the pandemic, they wanted to do something for their neighbors and their friends. So they got a hold of a bunch of decorative skeletons. No idea where they got them set them up in their front yard. People thought that was cool. Now they're doing it in a different arrangement every day across the entire month of October. And people are coming from all over. This was actually on the Today Show, this story. So here they are playing Twister. <laughs> here they are playing golf. I'm sure they play better than I do. And uh, see the, the skeleton on the ground? I don't know if he got hit with a golf ball. I'm not sure what happened with with all of that, and then somebody putting over there on the right side, and then there's the caddy, and there's the golfer. And then here was my favorite, camping out. And they're cooking s'mores. I don't know how they're going to eat them, but they're cooking s'mores, and all that goes inside all of that. So every year around Halloween, people always ask me the question I'll talk about for a second today, how should Christians feel about Halloween? On the one side, there's fun stuff in Halloween, right? I mean, we used to dress our kids up in Star Wars stuff and go around and get free candy. I mean, what's wrong with free candy, right? And all the good stuff that's inside that. On the other side, as you know, for some, Halloween can be a horrific celebration of the occult. It just is true. That's a fact of it as well. Uh, Halloween is the eve of All Hallows Day. All Hallows Day is November 1st. That's All Saints Day. In the more liturgical traditions, when all the saints of Christian history are remembered, that's November 1st. So the eve of Hallow's Day is Hallow's Eve or Halloween. That's where the name comes from. And for most of us, it's just a, like that, it's just an innocent way to have fun with family and friends and all that, and that's terrific. On the other side, just so you know, Halloween is the, they would say, holiest day of the year for occultic groups, for Satanist groups and people like that. Horrible stuff that happens on Halloween. Eve in that sense. And so in recent years, a lot of Christians have decided, hey, we're going to redeem this. We're going to use this for great good. I know of Christians that are passing out tracts along with candy when people come by. More and more churches are giving neighbors an alternative to knocking on doors with security issues these days and all of that. And they're doing fall festivals on their campuses and trunk or treat shows, things like that and getting people to come to their campus, and they're hearing the gospel, and all of that's really terrific. So just be aware of that. There's a good thing, there's a bad thing in that. Where I think Satan wants to use all this stuff, among other reasons, is to get us to caricature himself. The devil is, you know, uh, red tights with a pitchfork stuff, kind of making fun of 
occultic things, stuff like that. Satan says that Satan has two strategies. One is to cause you to caricature him, then he can do what he wants. The other is to give him too much power, and he can do what he wants. And in our culture, the first leads to the second. Well, I say all of that because of where we are in Scripture. We're walking through the Gospel of Matthew these days. We're taking a chapter a week. If we did a verse a week, we'd be here for the rest of time, but a chapter a week. And today we're coming to the temptations of Jesus. We're coming to Jesus' experiences with Satan in the wilderness. We're looking for ways each week that we can live lives of significance. Not just success, but significance. How can you live a life that matters? Leave a legacy that matters. Live a life in the abundance of Jesus. How can we experience significance? So in the light of all of that, what's going on in the culture now, let's talk about defeating the devil. Let's talk about ways to defeat the enemy. Let's talk about ways to defeat temptation. Ways to live a life of victory. Ways to live a life that did what Jesus did in this text. Because someplace in your life, even today, this story is your story. Someplace in your life, you are facing what Jesus faced. So let's talk about that for just a moment. We're in Matthew chapter 4. Text begins. Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. So this is what we're talking about. That's the Judean wilderness. That's the desert outside the, we talked about this last week, the Jordan River. We looked at where Jesus was baptized, Kasser al Yehud, down in the southern part of the Jordan River. That's the Judean desert. That's on the way from Jerusalem down to the Dead Sea. That's the area where Jesus spent 40 days before he was tempted by the enemy. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. 40 days of fasting is the limits the human body can endure. Fasting, even today, a biblical spiritual discipline is a way of focusing oneself, a way of abstaining from the physical for the sake of the spiritual. We're going to come back to that in just a minute. Jesus spent 40 days doing that in preparation for what's about to happen. And the tempter came to him. Satan came to him and said, if you are the son of God, and the if really could be translated since in the Greek, you are the son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. Forty days of fasting, he's hungry. So Satan always wants to meet your authentic needs in an inauthentic way. He always wants to meet a genuine need in a sinful way. And that's what he's doing here. Well, why would he tell them to turn stones to bread? That makes no sense, right? Except this is what the stones in the wilderness look like on the left, and that's what the bread in Jesus' day looked like on the right. They didn't have preservatives in Jesus' day. So they baked real hard, crusted, round loaves of bread that could last for days. The way you ate them was you broke them. You broke the outer crust and you ate the bread that was inside. The outer crust was often too hard even to yeast. It, it, it preserved the bread inside. It looked just like the stones in the wilderness. So that's the first temptation, turn stones into bread. And Jesus responds by quoting from Deuteronomy 8. It is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. So Satan tries again, takes him to the holy city, Jerusalem, sets him on the pinnacle of the temple. That's the pinnacle of the temple. That's the southeastern corner of the temple mount surrounding the temple itself. That's a model for what it looked like in Jesus' day. Today, the wall is about half the size it was in Jesus' day. Today, that pinnacle is 221 feet above the Kidron Valley below. In Jesus' day, it was 450 feet. Pinnacle of the temple. Takes him up to the highest point, the skyscraper of the day, and says, 
If you're the son of God, throw yourself down. Crowds everywhere, everybody watching this happening. It is written, he will command his angels concerning you. On their hands, they will bear you up, lest you dash your foot against the stone. Take a shortcut to the, don't go to the cross. Get the crowds to follow you by showing off your power. By demonstrating your divine power, and they'll follow you, and they'll adore you, and you don't have to die on the cross. You don't have to pay for sin. It's a shortcut, is an idea behind this. And Jesus responds, again it is written, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, quoting scripture. Time for Deuteronomy 6. Third time, the devil took him to a very high mountain, showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. Well, now that could have been a visionary experience. We're on a round planet. There's no one mountain that can show you visually all the kingdoms on a round planet, right? Could have been a visionary experience for sure. But also could have meant the kingdoms of Jesus' day, of Jesus' world. And the glory, and if that's the case, then they went here. That's Mount Arbel. If you've been with me to Israel, we go there at the end of the first day. We climb up to that and look down from the top of the cliffs of Arbel, or Mount Arbel, because that's what you can see from there. You see the Sea of Galilee. That's Capernaum off in the distance and Bethsaida on the other side. That's Magdala, where Mary Magdalene was from, is down at the foot of that. And that would be the Galilee of Jesus' day. And so if it's a visual experience, a physical experience, most likely it was there that Satan took Jesus and says, all this I will give you if you'll fall down and worship me. And Jesus says, be gone, Satan. It is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. Again, quoting scripture. And the text says, the devil left him, angels came and ministered to him. Well, we could spend months on these temptations, couldn't we? Unpacking them, talking about them, looking at what each of them could mean individually. Today, I want to take just a moment and look at them collectively and suggest four life principles. If you want to live a life of significance, you're going to have to defeat the devil. He doesn't want that for you. He wants your life to be destroyed. Jesus said he's a murderer. Jesus said he's a liar and the father of lies. He comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Satan wants your life to be ruined. He wants to ruin your marriage, wants to ruin your family, wants to ruin your witness, wants to destroy your life. If you want an overcoming life, if you want an abundant life, if you want a life of significance, you have to learn to do what Jesus did. So how do you do that? Well, first thing to do is expect temptation. Jesus has just been baptized in the Jordan River. We talked about this last week. He saw the Holy Spirit descend as a dove. A voice from heaven says, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Could there be a higher point than that? And it's immediately after that that the Son of God faced the temptations of the enemy. One of the ways Satan likes to deceive us is to cause us to think when we're being tempted, it's our fault. That when you're facing temptation, you've done something wrong. It's actually the opposite. My youth minister used to say, if you and the devil aren't doing that, you're probably doing that. You know? When you're being tempted, it means the devil thinks you're worth his attention. It means your life, your faith, your influence are worth his focus. The more you walk with Jesus, the more you should expect the opposition of the enemy. Doc and a number of you have served in our military, and I think they would agree, from what I understand about military strategy, that the first thing you try to do is take out what the enemy's greatest threat to you is. 
If you're about to attack on land, you first take out air cover. If you want to bomb them, first you want to take out their ability to bomb you. The greater the threat to the enemy, the more the focus. So if you're not facing temptation, you should be afraid. If you're where Satan wants you, be very afraid. If he's not tempting you, he must like you where you are. You don't want that, right? It's really a compliment to be tempted in a very strange way. If Jesus was tempted, of course we'll be tempted. Jesus said of the world, if the world hates me, it will hate you. If they persecuted me, they'll persecute you. Paul told Timothy, all who seek to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Expect temptation. It's a fact of life. It's not that you've done something wrong. It means you're actually doing something right, if that's the case. Now, isn't that good news, right? Came to chapel. You've got a target on your back now. If you're worshiping, if you're serving, if you're praying, you've got a target on your back. I wish I'd thought of this ahead of time because I'd put it up there. Y'all know the far side? Far side comics, you know? A demented genius, the guy that does that stuff. Really funny. So one of my favorite ones is this deer talking to this other deer who's got a target on his back. And the one deer says to the other, bummer of a birthright, uh, of a birthmark, excuse me, bummer of a birthmark, right? That would be a bad birthmark for a deer, right? A target on your back. You've got a target on your soul. If you're serving Jesus, if you're following Jesus, if you're coming to chapel on Sunday, expect temptation. Well, here's the second thing to do. Prepare before it comes. Jesus fasted 40 days before he faced temptation. Spiritual disciplines, prayer, Bible study, worship, don't earn the favor of God. They position you to experience the grace of God. Praying is how you plug the drill in before you turn it on. Praying is how you charge the computer before you use it. Reading the Bible in the morning is how you put gas in the tank before you drive the car. Getting alone with God, getting close to God, reading His Word and praying and serving Him doesn't earn His favor. It's all by grace. By grace are you saved through faith. But it's the gift of God He can give to people who are close enough to receive. We've said this before, the people driving up and out and out there on Farm Road 36 can't hear this conversation because they're not in here. We didn't charge tickets to get here. It's all by grace, but you have to be close enough to receive. One of the real important reasons to start every day by getting with God is so you're empowered to face the day. Preparing for temptation is the best way to defeat temptation, to be ready before it comes. Leads to a third principle. When it comes, seek the power of God. Jesus quoted Scripture. Jesus didn't fight back in his wisdom. This is the divine son of God we're talking about, the sinless son of God. And even he didn't try to defeat the devil apart from the word of God. Even he went straight to what God's word says, quoted scripture, stood on biblical authority. When you're facing temptation, go to the word of God. Ask, what does the Bible say about it? If you're not sure, Google Google knows a lot about the Bible these days. Ask Google, what does the Bible say about? OpenBible. I think it's O-R-G, is a website I use a lot. You can just type in, what does the Bible say about? If you're being tempted, ask Google what the Bible says. Ask the Holy Spirit, who's the divine Google, right? What does Scripture say? What would God have me do? Pray about this. Take it immediately to God. Say, Lord, I'm being tempted by 
Don't try to defeat it yourself. Let me tell you how Satan does this. Take just a moment to tell you this. He loves to give you early victories that lead to later losses. If you're fighting temptation today, I'm not surprised if you're defeating it for now. I'm not surprised if you're saying no in your own strength for now. What he's doing is pulling you inch by inch into the quicksand further and further until the day when you die, when you suffocate. He gets you so far in that you can't get out. He doesn't mind you climbing a ladder so that the higher you get, the further the fall and the more people you injure. So if you think you're getting away with sin today, if you think nobody sees it, nobody knows it, nobody knows what I'm doing, nobody sees what I'm seeing, if you think you're getting away with it, understand that you're not. Satan's just biding his time till the cancer gets worse and the fall is even harder. Where you're being tempted today, take it immediately to God. If you could defeat it in your strength, Satan wouldn't bother with it. Anything you're being tempted by, you need the help of God with. And the good news is it's there if you'll do that. I love this verse. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will provide the way of escape so you may be able to endure it. He will, not he might, not he could, not if he gets around to it. He will provide the way of escape if you'll go to him. But he can only give what you'll receive. If you won't open the Christmas present, you can't play with the toy. you got to open the gift. Take it to him. And then last, share your story. Ever occurred to you that no one was in the wilderness but Jesus and Satan? How do we know the story? Matthew wasn't there. They wrote that down. Luke has our other version of the temptations. He wasn't even a disciple. Luke wasn't. How do we know the story? Well, obviously, the Holy Spirit could have inspired Matthew directly to write this down. I know that. Obviously, that could be the answer to the question. But I think the more likely answer to the question is Jesus told the story. I don't know that. But there are lots of times when Jesus tells us in public what's happened in private so as to encourage us as he was encouraged to learn what he learned. I think, certainly Matthew told the story for our sake, and I think maybe even Jesus told the story so that we could know what he experienced and we could experience what he did. So now that you know the story, when you're able in the power of God, in the word of God, in the strength of God, to defeat the power of the enemy, tell the story. I'm getting to do this right now. Somebody needs what you know. Somebody needs the help you can give. Wounded healers are the best healers. When our son Ryan was diagnosed with cancer 10 years ago, the people that helped us were the, the most were the people who had been through cancer. When my father died, the person that helped me the most was a student on campus whose father had died just a few months earlier. There's a relevance when somebody else has been where you are that nothing else has. You're a custodian now of grace. You have a story to share. If you're not sure who needs your story, just pray about that. Lord, I'm willing to share. With whom should I share? And watch what happens. If you'll say to God, Lord, I'm willing to help the way I've been helped. I'm willing to pay forward what I've received. 
Just watch how coincidences happen when you do that, if you're willing to tell the story. And then, this wasn't true of Jesus, but it's true for us. The more we share the story, the more, the more the story blesses us as well. When you share your faith, your faith grows stronger. The best way to learn anything is to teach it. The more you share it, the stronger it is for you as well. And that's how the cycle goes. So let me close with some very practical advice I've found about defeating temptation and experiencing significance. First of all, from William Penn, Pennsylvania, named for William Penn. If thou wouldst conquer thy weakness, thou must never gratify it. No man is compelled to evil. His consent only makes it his. It is no sin to be tempted, but to be overcome, said William Penn. And then a person named Ed Cole, don't know who he is, but I really like what he said. The ability to resist temptation is directly proportionate to your submission to God. And then this for last, from Rick Warren. Every time you defeat a temptation, you become more like Jesus. Will you become more like Jesus today is the question. So let's pray. Take this moment, just you and Jesus, and decide if you want to be more like Jesus today. If you do, then name the temptation that the enemy has brought into your wilderness today. Just name it and give it to him. Say, Lord, I'm being tempted to. I'm being tempted by. Give it to him. Ask him right now for the strength that you need. Ask him to direct you to Scripture or to show you how to pray or to lead you to somebody you should ask help from. Ask him what he wants you to do to win this victory and decide that you'll do it. And now ask him to use you to help somebody else who struggles as you do and needs the victory of Christ. And then last, as so often I say, if in the midst of all this you're not sure you've met Christ, you're not sure you know him as your Lord and Savior, you're not sure you've asked him to forgive your sin and be your Lord, let me urge you to do that today. Get alone with him. Say, Lord, I ask you to forgive my sin. I ask you to be the Lord of my life. Give your life to him. Then tell a Christian what you've done so they can help you to grow in your faith. Lord, thank you that this story is in Scripture for our sake. Because, Lord, I know we're all in the Judean wilderness every day. And Satan knows where we live. And he sees our faith. He sees our attendance even here today. And he wants to take us down. So, Lord, may we live in victory this day and this week because we were here now. And may we walk in the joy of Jesus because we have trusted Jesus today. That's my prayer for us in his holy name. Amen. God bless. Y'all have a great day.